want to ask you this morning to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4, please. And as you find your place, I would also like to just add uh, to the words of welcome already given, and trust and pray that the Lord will bless you uh, spiritually above all else in the year that lies uh, before us. As already been mentioned, none of us know what a day may bring forth, but we trust and we do know that the Lord is ever and always with His people. So John chapter 4, and we're going to break into this narrative at verse 27. It runs from verse 1, but we're going to read from verse 27 through to verse 38. So John chapter 4, and commencing reading verse 27, let us hear the word of the living God. And upon this he came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white." already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I send you to reap, that thereon ye bestow no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Amen. Ending our reading at verse 38. And we'll still ourselves before the Lord once more. Ask the Lord to come with power. You pray as God's child that the Lord will speak to you and have a word for you even this morning. Let's unite in prayer. Eternal God and gracious Father, we thank and bless thee once again for this privilege to assemble together to come before thy throne of heavenly grace. We thank thee for an open heaven. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus who is that new and living way. Rejoice, O God, we come by and through our Mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art the one who sees us and hears us for his sake. And so, Lord, as we come to thee, we ask for thy help this morning. I ask thy stand again as a candidate, a candidate for the cleansing of the precious blood. Forgive me of my sin, and I pray for the infilling of the Spirit of the Lord. I pray that thy word will come with power. Lord, Thou hast given it. We have an idea in our mind how we would want to preach it. But Lord, we desire that Thou would come. And that the Spirit of the Lord will come. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We pray for that freedom in the pulpit. We pray that we will not be bound by our own limitations, nor even by our notes. But Lord, that Thou would set me, this preacher, loose in the Spirit of the Lord. We pray for Thy people who have assembled. Others online, not well still grieving, mourning, whatever their circumstance. And yet, Lord, they have taken their time to tune in. We pray that Thou would speak to us all. 
And Lord, we pray that thou would give us the grace not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. Come now, we beseech of thee. Bless the principal means of grace. Bring glory to thy dear name. For this we ask for Christ's sake and thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. A motto text is something that the Lord lays upon the heart of the preacher to bring before the congregation something that the Lord wants them to lay up in their hearts for the months that lie ahead. Now, a motto text can be a verse to encourage, a word to nourish, a promise to claim, a prayer to utter, a truth to console, a command to provoke, a call to rouse, or a phrase to stir. And I wonder if I was to ask you what was the motto text for last year, would you remember? It was found in Isaiah chapter 59 and the verse 19, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And too often after the motto text is preached, maybe for a number of weeks it's mentioned in prayer, but then it's soon forgotten, both the challenge of it and the comfort of it. It is because we're prone to forget that it's good to have a reminder. And that is why we have this morning a little bookmark with a text upon it. And you can pick one up as you leave. Now, when we were asked a couple of weeks ago if we had a motto text in mind for 2023 in order that we could get it off to the printers before Christmas, being my turn to bring the text for the year, I began to think about what that text might be. For a good number of weeks before, I had been thinking much about evangelism, especially personal evangelism. And I believe that the Lord would have this congregation challenged, challenged in 2023 concerning their responsibility and their privilege of personally, personally evangelizing the lost. Personal evangelism, it is the act of a person sharing the gospel with another. Evangelism is not simply a matter of teaching, instructing, and imparting information to the mind. There's more to it than that. Evangelism, it includes a desire to elicit a response to the truth that is shared. It is a communication with a view to conversion. That's what evangelism is. Not simply imparting truth or information, but it is to elicit a response to bring the individual to confront them with the claims of Jesus Christ and their need to be saved. Now, of course, the supreme example of a personal evangelist in Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And the greatest example of His personal evangelism is found here, I believe, in John chapter 4, when He spoke to the women at the well. And with that in mind, my heart was drawn to the words of verse 35, as our motto text for the year. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, from that little parcel of land, outside the city of Sychar, and he's speaking through the ages to this parcel of land in Balamina, and he's saying this to you this morning, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. This is a tremendous chapter in God's Word concerning, concerning personal evangelism, and we can learn much from the Master. 
We have His tactfulness, His tenderness, and His truthfulness. It is an account that's familiar to many of us. While passing through Samaria, not by chance, but by necessity, the Lord Jesus was weary from His journey, and He sat on the well. A Samaritan woman, she approached to draw out water from that well, and Christ engages in conversation with her. He asks her for a drink, but soon shifts the topic to the spiritual living water. He masterfully uses the ordinary happenings and circumstances of life to provide opportunity for personal evangelism. Now, by the end of the dialogue that follows, the woman has been stripped of all her cultural props and has had her sins uncovered. She has been confronted by her transgressions, and this causes her to think outside of herself about a Savior, proclaiming her hope in the Messiah that would come and who would tell her what to do, only to have Jesus reveal unto her in verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he. Now John does not tell us here the woman's immediate response to that. We only know that upon the disciples' return, they marveled that Christ was talking with a woman. But her subsequent actions, well, they make it clear that the encounter with Christ had a transforming effect upon her. We read there, she left her water pot, and she went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, we can't stay with the whole account because I want to focus on verse 35, our motto text this morning. But here we have a tremendous example of personal evangelism. It would be worth your own personal study. But as I said, we're going to focus on verse 35 this morning. The title of my message is taken from the words in verse 35, Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. And I want to consider this under three headings this morning. Firstly, there is the enticement to laziness. There is the enticement to laziness. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Now, it's apparent here in this verse that the Lord, He's using a physical common occurrence of the disciples would have been familiar with to draw out a spiritual truth. The Lord had at this time been in the region of Jerusalem and Judea for about eight months since the last Passover, and there remained four months until the next. And at that time, the barley harvest would be gathered in. So by this reckoning, it is thought that Christ was in Samaria at Jacob's well, at the end of November or the beginning of December. And if that was the case, if that was the case, well, since the sowing of the barley occurred in September, October, then we might assume, we might suggest that the green shoots were coming out of the earth. The harvest was not yet ripe. The physical harvest was not yet ripe for the reaping. There was yet four months. Now, it is the law of nature that the farmer, he has to wait a period of time between the sowing and the reaping. Now, this wasn't the case here spiritually in this, this situation, but I'm going to come to that a little later. What I want to draw out is this point of application concerning 
the enticement to laziness in the matter of personal evangelism. The Lord forbids His disciples from the temptation of thinking that there is no labor for them to engage in in that moment in time. He disarms them of the enticement to say within their own hearts, now is not the time, we're going to sit back, we're going to take our ease, the harvest is still away, away. Now when it comes to the work of God, the Bible makes it clear that there is a time. There is a time to sow and there is a time to reap. And it may appear from the circumstances around us that the times are not conducive to the work of spiritual sowing and reaping. And there is a tendency in such times for the Christian to be tempted to idleness, the enticement to be spiritually lazy. However, God has not called us to be loafers, but to be laborers. All of God's people have the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, not just the preachers, not just the missionaries, but every child of God is commissioned with this task. And yet many times it is a great undone command, and we don't like to be reminded of that. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you this morning, can you remember, can I remember the last time we personally evangelized someone? We personally shared the gospel with someone else because the Great Commission rests on every one of us. It is our duty. It is responsibility. Each one of us is called to be a personal evangelist for Jesus Christ. When a preacher mentions the subject of personal evangelism and the duty that is upon each and every one of us, well, at times conviction, fear, guilt, the weight of responsibility— often rises up within the child of God, along with the excuses. We all know it's what we should be doing. We all know it's our responsibility. We all know that God has commissioned us. God has left us in the world to share the gospel with other people. And yet, that comes into our hearts. We feel guilt. We feel a weight of responsibility. We feel fear. But along with that, rises up the excuses. We could take the words of Christ to the disciples as one of the great excuses that is often used, not now, but later. Not now, but later. We'll attend to that matter of personal evangelism and getting into the harvest field of lost souls and fulfilling our responsibility at another time. That's nothing other than procrastination. Procrastination is the act of willfully delaying the doing of something that should be done. Yet you and I, we can't afford to put off this matter of personal evangelism, of reaching the lost and engaging with them. We're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow, for there's not one of us know what a day brings forth for us, for the lost. And as one man said, it's only good news if it reaches them in time. It's only good news if it reaches them in time. Christians will, and they should, feel bad for putting off sharing their faith. Christ is the most glorious person in the world. 
His salvation is infinitely valuable. Every person in the world needs saved. Horrific consequences await those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And yet by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have seen Him, we have believed on Him, and we now love Him. Therefore, for us not to speak of Christ to unbelievers and not to care about our town or the unreached peoples of this world is contradictory to the Savior's worth and the plight of sinners. It's basically to say we don't believe what we believe. If we don't believe that Christ is the most valuable, that His salvation is what all men need, that sinners are in a desperate plight, and we don't share the gospel with them, well, then we're living a life of contradiction. You and I, well, we have this tendency to think that that family member, that work colleague, that neighbor, that schoolmate, they're not ready for sowing or ripe for reaping, that they're not ready to believe, and so we put off to another time sharing the gospel with them. But you know, our excuses, they don't stand up very well before the example of this Samaritan woman who spoke to the very people most likely to reject anything that she had to say. We stall. That's what we do. We stall in this matter of personal evangelism, even when the Spirit is prompting us. You know, when the Bible tells us when it comes to some things, there ought to be no delay. Christ, He taught in Matthew chapter 5 that reconciling with an offended brother should be done immediately when it's brought to our remembrance. Also in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord said that we are to agree quickly with the adversary in a way we're to sort out our disputes with the people of the world lest our testimony is marred. And in this matter of sharing our Christian faith, there is no time to waste. Christ in Luke 14, if you turn there. Luke 14 in the verse 21, He likened evangelistic efforts to a man inviting people to a great banquet. And as He sent out His servants with invitations, this is what He said. Luke chapter 14 in the verse 21 the middle of the verse. And he said unto his servants, Go out quickly, go out quickly, there's the word, into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. There was an urgency, the time for the great feast had arrived, and all things were ready. And Christians, we must not procrastinate when it comes to sharing the gospel with the law. Sometimes Christians will put off witnessing to an individual for fear of troubling that person or that it will make them, well, think ill of, of them as a Christian. But Richard Baxter said this, A foolish physician is he and a most unfaithful friend that will let a sick man die for fear of troubling him. And cruel wretches are we to our friends that will rather suffer them to go quietly to hell than anger them or hazard our reputation with them. Inactivity and procrastination in this matter, this realm of personal evangelism, it is a blight upon the church of Jesus Christ and it is to the detriment of our society. Why is that? Well, we all know the answer to man's sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet it's man's sin in his heart that leads to all the social 
ills of the day. And so therefore, if you and I, we share not the gospel, it's a blight to the church of Christ and it's to the detriment of the society that you and I live in. Putting off personal evangelism, it's just one excuse. No, you and I, we would think it callous of a lifeguard if they would sit idly by when someone was drowning. Or if a fireman would be indifferent to the cries of someone in a burning building, and yet we seem to be able to sit among, to work along with, to live beside those with whom we have not shared the gospel when their souls are going down into an everlasting hell. As one man commented, too many Christians are stuffing themselves with the gospel blessings while millions have never had a taste. Putting off, procrastinating. Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. That's just one excuse. Others, they say, like Moses, well, I can't speak. But we are to open our mouth and the Lord will fill it. The Spirit will give us what we are to answer in that very hour. Well, some will say, you know, I don't know enough to talk to someone about the gospel. If you know enough yourself to be saved, you know enough to share the gospel. Others, they will say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. To which William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he would answer this, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should answer. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail. Go and stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and build their brothers and their sisters and their servants and the masters not to come to this place. Then look in the face of Christ whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. You see, when we in Western Christianity have been blessed with the absence of real persecution, let's be honest, we're blessed with that. And I've known what it is to have houses filled with all good things and have eaten ah, to the full. There's a tendency to idleness, to sit at ease in Zion, to put off to, to tomorrow what you and I should do today. Say ye not, or not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. The time when the sickle of the Lord is thrust into this world will soon come. And what will it mean for your lost work colleagues your lost schoolmates, your lost neighbors? What will it mean for those who have never heard? There's no time for delay, brethren and sisters, the enticement to laziness. Secondly, this morning, I want us to think about the entreatment to look. Look at verse 35 again. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look in the field. In the context, the Lord Jesus was telling his disciples to lift up their eyes and take a look, not at the crops in the field, for they were not ready for harvest, but at the spiritual harvest that was coming out of the town of Sychar. They were to observe the obvious instantaneous effect already produced by the sowing of the good seed in the Samaritan woman's heart. 
Now, you don't sow the seed and go out the same day and expect to, to reap a harvest. It takes time for a crop to grow. But in this case, the spiritual harvest was instant. And they didn't have to wait four months. The Lord was doing a mighty and a great work here. And we remember the word that the Reverend Greer preached on this passage about revival. This Samaritan woman, she was the most unlikely prospect for evangelism, if ever there was one. She wasn't interested in spiritual things. When Christ turned the conversation in that direction, she was mixed up with all kinds of ideas due to her religious beliefs. She was a moral woman. She wasn't a key person in society like Nicodemus. But by the reaching of this woman, who in turn went into the city and spoke to the townsfolk, who came to Christ, there was a harvest of souls. That day the seed was sown, and the same day a harvest was reaped. And that's what the Lord can do, and it just goes to show that we never know how God may use the witness to someone who we might consider to be an unlikely prospect for the gospel. Now what were the disciples looking at, we, we do not know. It may have been the case that their backs were towards the village since they had come out of it, that they went there to get food. And I thought to myself about that. They obviously weren't expecting a harvest of souls from that place since they were commanded to lift up their eyes and take a look. No one came out to see Christ after they had been in Sychar. Do you ever think about that? Here was the men who were the apostles. And they had went into that village, and yet no one came out to see Christ after they had been in. They came out, the people came out after the woman went back and witnessed of Christ Did the disciples. Did they not take the opportunity to evangelize? Did they not in their everyday task of simply going to get food tell the people that the Messiah was on the outskirts of their city, maybe never to pass that way again. Did they miss an opportunity? I do not know if that was the case. What I do know is that their eyes were on other things. Maybe it wasn't illegitimate things, but they needed the entreaty to lift up their eyes and look upon the harvest that was coming out of the city. And the fact that the disciples were told to lift up their eyes indicates that their heads we're downward looking towards the earth. And you know, we too can have our focus on, the, on other things, on the things of this world, the entertainment, the, the kingdoms, the things that will pass away. And that's exactly what the devil wants. He wants us to be, be preoccupied with those things as we engage in conversation with others. We find it so easy to talk about the welder to talk about sport, to talk about the price of oil, the price of groceries, the price of cattle. And yet, our vision is so dull and our eyes are focused on earthly things that we do not see the harvest field that is right before our eyes. We often fail to take our opportunities. Isn't that right? We need to lift up our eyes and get a sight of the harvest field of lost souls that are round about us. And that will not happen if our attention is and our focus is on other things. The lifting up and the looking is something that we need to do ourselves. 
It's a command from the Lord that is to be obeyed. And if it's a command from Him, then there is the accompanying grace to do it. See, someone else can't lift their eyes. We must, with purpose, look with intent ourselves. And we need to develop that harvest mindset, that harvest vision, that even if we're only going into the town to get some food, just like these disciples, that we see that as an opportunity for personal evangelism, that we pray to the Lord, open up the door for me. We need to develop that mindset. No matter where we're going, we're going to the garage, we're going to buy a piece of furniture, whatever it is, that we pray that we're praying, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me a harvest mindset. Lift my eyes from the things of this world. Give me focus. Give me attention upon the souls of perishing men and women. We need the touch of the Lord in order that we do not see men as trees walking. Just as extras and our all so important little lives. And out and about at the shopping center. At school, at work, in the park with the children, on the bus, wherever you go. Let me ask you, did you see the multitudes? Do you see the multitudes of perishing souls? Wasn't it Robert Murray McShane as a young lad walking through Dundee? Oh, he saw the multitudes. He, he heard the multitudes on their, their tramp to hell. And he put his hands in his, or his face in his hands and he wept and he said to his mother, Do you not hear the multitudes going down to hell? There's a man who had a vision. A Christ-like vision because Christ in Matthew chapter 9 and the verse 36 we read there that he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In 2023, as a church and as individuals, we need to regain and reignite that evangelistic vision and fervor. It's great. It is great when the Lord gives you an opportunity to share with someone the gospel. It's great. You should pray for that. I should pray for that. As a session, we have decided and we have taken a decision to conduct a gospel mission this year in April. The Reverend Greer and myself will be the preachers, but do not say to yourself, you know, there's yet four months. This evening's a gospel mission. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Ask the Lord to put someone upon your heart. Do it now. Don't say, there's yet four months to that harvest, to that mission, but begin to do the work now. Begin to pray now. Ask the Lord to put someone upon your heart. Pray incessantly for them that the Lord will make them receptive to the invitation and to the gospel. The session has also taken a decision that in the summer, say over six weeks, that on the Lord's Day afternoon that we're going to conduct gospel open airs in our estates and in our villages round about. And while that open air is going on, we want individuals going out and knocking the doors, distributing gospel tracts, speaking to them about the gospel, inviting them underneath the sound of the Word of God, a summer outreach team as it were. But don't sit there and say to yourself, ah, there's yet six months. Pray to the Lord now about that. Child of God, ask the Lord, what will I have me to do? Will you have me to join that outreach team in the summer? We want men and women called of God, 
to go in the doors again for Jesus Christ. The session have also taken a decision that we're going to have a children's mission this year. And all our evangelistic efforts will be held. And you know there's plenty of, of avenues within this church and all the ministries not only this year, but every week to engage in evangelism. But I want to tell you now, don't forget, don't forget about personal evangelism. That's the thrust this morning. Christ is supreme example. This is what you and I need to be doing day and daily, wherever we're at, witnessing for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel by life and by limb. Take a bundle of tracks there out on the hallway table. Put one into your coat. Put one into your purse. Put one into your wallet. And ask the Lord to lead you to someone to give that gospel tract to you. I was sitting there and I was just thinking about it. What will we have here? 300 able-bodied people. I know there's more here, but we think of little children in arms. Think about that. 300 able-bodied people. And if you had one good gospel witness a month, that's 3,600 people who have been personally spoken to about the Lord Jesus Christ. Multiply that by, we could say, every week, or a gospel tract every week. And how many individuals will be reached for Jesus Christ? We need to pray for that. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. We all have this great commission upon us. May God give us eyes to see to lift our eyes up from those lesser things and to look with intent. He's commanded it. There is a company grace to do it. So we have thought about the enticement to laziness, the entreatment to look. Finally, this morning, there is the encouragement to labor. There's encouragement here. The fields of souls upon which the disciples were to look was white already to harvest. The harvest was ripe and it was coming forth from the village. Clothed in their traditional white robes, the villagers came out to meet Christ. And as they walked through the fields, they resembled the white heads of barley when they are ready for harvesting. The encouragement for us to labor is that there is a harvest, there is a harvest to be reaped. This verse that follows on the heels of verse 34, which is really the guarantee that a harvest will be gathered in. Look what it says. There Christ says to His disciples, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish the work. Christ was sent by the Father to accomplish the work of redemption. He came down from heaven not to do His own will, but the will of of his Father who had sent him. And part of that will was to assume a human nature. Another part was to fulfill the law, and another part was to suffer and to die. Christ was sent with the definite purpose of saving his people from their sin. He came to finish the work that the Father gave him to do. And he did that at the cross. He cried, it is finished. It is because Christ has died as the corn of wheat that fell into the ground and has risen again as the first fruits. Now we have every encouragement to share the gospel for there are a chosen, there are an elect people for whom he died. 
and to whom the work of redemption will be applied. And how is it applied? It is applied by the Spirit of God operating upon the Word of God through the people of God. That little part, that link in the chain is our responsibility. How is redemption applied to the lost souls for whom Christ has died? It is the Spirit of God operating upon the Word of God through the people of God to the souls of men and women. The doctrines of grace and specifically the doctrine of limited atonement or particular redemption as it's also termed, it empowers evangelism rather than hinder it. I'm glad we are in a church that believes in evangelism. I'm glad we're in a church that believes in particular redemption. There's a people for whom Christ has died. I'm glad that the gospel and sharing the gospel is not a fruitless, it's not a pointless exercise to go out knowing that the gospel, the success of the gospel, it doesn't rely and rest on the power of our presentation or in the audience's ability to receive it or to understand it or to even desire it, but instead it rests solely on an all-powerful God who is sovereign in salvation and will apply redemption to His people. The doctrines of grace, it gives the assurance that evangelism will be fruitful. It will be. Our missionaries can go out to the mission fields of this world at the call of God, knowing that they're not being sent out on a fool's errand. And we can go to this town, we can go to this surrounding area with the gospel, with the encouragement that the Lord will save His own. The Lord will reap His harvest. The people, they might view us as fools. But we're not doing something foolish. Rather, we'll do something that's fruitful. Though I know we live in a nation that's ripe for God's judgment. God's final judgment. I believe it's already being judged. It's being given up to its sin. Being given up to its madness. It's lunacy. But amongst the multitudes, there are those who are ripe for salvation. We don't know who they are. It might be that person beside you on the factory floor. It might be your neighbor. But they must hear the gospel if they are to be saved. And that responsibility rests on you and me. If left unreached, people will die in their sins. The motto text for this year, it's a challenging text, a challenge for each and every child of God to engage in personal evangelism. Last night we sang at the watch night service, Elizabeth Head's hymn, O Breath of Life. And the last verse reads like this, Revive us, Lord, as seal abiding, while harvest fields are vast and white. Revive us, Lord, Valamina is waiting. Equip thy church to spread the light. That's a prayer that we all need to be, we all need to pray. We need to be revived. We need to be equipped to share the gospel. 
you pray that the Lord would make you a soul winner in 2023, Christian. That you and I would both know the soul winner's joy. That we would be not just fishers of men and name only, but in experience that God would give us a passion for souls like David Brainerd, who said, I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls I sleep. And when I sleep, I dream of them. And when I awake, they are my first thought. He had a passion for the lost. We need to lift up our lives, get them off the lesser things, all those things that are going on round about us, and we need to look at the harvest. Far and near the the fields are teeming with the waves of ripened green. Oh, I don't know, but maybe the Lord will use this tax to send someone forth into the harvest field, into his full-time service, as we like to call it, minister, missionary, whatever it might be. Maybe you've been procrastinating, you've been putting it off for a while. Whoever you are, Lord has been dealing with your heart. Well, maybe this morning you'll submit to him and you'll say, here am I, send me. Oh, that the Lord would give us eyes to see. That we would no longer make any excuses. And that we would go into the harvest field and come with rejoicing. Bringing our sheaves with us. Say not ye. There are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look in the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts, and may the Lord give to us, in 2023, a great reaping of souls for His glory. As I said, the motto text can quickly slip from our mind. A few weeks it's there, and then it goes. I encourage you to take a little bookmark and put it in your Bible or put it somewhere where you will see it where the Lord will continually speak to you and you would pray that the Lord will give you souls for His glory. Let's unite in prayer and let's look to the Lord to back home the challenge with His Holy Spirit. Eternal God and loving Father, We come before Thee and we ask Thee to search our hearts in this matter of personal evangelism, the responsibility that lies upon each and every one of us. Too often we go about our daily tasks, Lord, and well, to start with, Lord, we've never prayed for an opportunity. And then at times we miss the opportunity because our eyes Our focus, our attention is on all our things. Lord, help us. You've given the command. And we thank Thee for the accompanying grace to obey the command. And I pray for each and every one of Your dear children. That, Lord, that Thou would make them soul winners for Jesus Christ. And pray that Thou would give us all opportunities to witness for our Savior, to share with a dying world, a living Christ. 
And I pray that thou would see of the travail of thy soul and be satisfied. There is a harvest. It is why you tarry, Lord Jesus, for there are still some to be gathered in. Pray for thy people, that, Lord, that thou would help them. Nervous though they be, we pray that thou would take away the fear of man. May our lives, Lord, not contradict our lips. No point going and saying one thing of our life's life says another. We thank thee for the example of Christ, the tact that he used, the tenderness in his heart, and yet the truth that he spoke to this woman, not excusing her sin, but bringing it before her and then revealing himself to be the Christ. Help us, Lord. Give us opportunities. Bless the gospel service this evening. While we are excited and begin to pray for a gospel mission in April, Lord, there's souls now that need to be saved. They might never see that gospel mission. We might never see it to invite them in. Lord, I pray that you'll give to us as a congregation that evangelistic spirit that our Savior had. Lord, bless thy word. And we pray that as we leave this place, we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit, would be upon us and remain with us now and forevermore. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.